Last week, many of you texted me about the book of Romans, things that you loved and appreciated about this great letter. And I responded to a couple of you that we, uh, well, we're not done yet. Um, last week, it did seem like that, right? It seemed like it was over, like the, uh, Paul sends out greetings. He in- introduces us to the wider network. And then it's like um, something wells up inside of him. And he's like, oops, I, 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 I need to add a few more things. Like, like when a parent sends a, a kid off to school for the first time, whether kindergarten, the first day of a new year, the new day at a new school, or off to college. You, you say your goodbyes, and then there's this little bit of information that you, you need to, to give final instructions about. Don't, don't forget to do your, your laundry and wash your underwear. Or your lunch is in your backpack. Your dad's picking you up at 3.15 at the bus stop. Or maybe they're just going over to a friend's. And Danette's favorite is make good choices and be aware. Like last words, parting words, they just well up uh, at the end. And that's kind of what's happening here with Paul. Um, when Blakely went off to college, I uh, gave her a list of dad's 10 rules. Now, Jaden, I haven't given these to you yet because we're going to have coffee this week and I'm going to give you your 10 rules. But the 10 rules were spend time with the Lord, go to church and campus ministry whenever you're able, don't date a guy who isn't doing both, get through your first year there. You can always come home after that. You can always call dad. You can always call dad's friends. Use your voice. Find a friend who pushes you to love Jesus. And lastly, my kid's favorite, embrace the awkward. Parting words. Paul is riffing goodbyes, greetings. And then he's like, oh yeah, uh, uh, don't forget. And it seems a little off-brand at first, like watch out, a warning, there's danger out there. But it really sounds like any parent. And it's structured, what I want you to see, it's structured around command and gospel. And this is how we're organizing it. This morning, your outline, if you're keeping uh, track at home, is point one, watch out. And point two, God is able. Watch out and God is able. The kernel of the command, watch out, is enshrouded in the husk of the gospel, God is able. As we end Romans today, it's important to come back to some of these themes in Paul and in Romans. And maybe most important is Paul's idea that story shapes life. You hear that, Isaac? You remember that? We had a seminary, Isaac and I had a seminary professor um, who, this was his riff, story shapes life. And that's Paul's overarching deal. And what does that mean? It's the grammar of the gospel, that the imperatives of any of the letters of Paul only make sense in the indicative of who we are in Christ. Do this, why? Because this is who you are. Do this, why? Because this is who God is. Is And so Paul starts with a word of warning. And as you will see, the warnings come from the themes that are raised in the letter. So point one, watch out, avoid. Now remember, let's come back to the purpose of the letter and Paul's gospel. Paul is in the news business. He is writing news to this Roman church while on sabbatical for three or four months in the city of Corinth. He is awaiting a trip to Jerusalem to deliver a collection of offerings. Jerusalem has been the center of a new and growing religion called Christianity. But Paul's vision isn't there, but instead on what will be the new center, Rome. 
So Paul wants to share with the church in Rome his hopes for her. He also wants to see the citizens in Rome converted to this news that he is preaching. To hear it. To realize that a new day has dawned and what it brings. So what is Paul's news? Paul's news. We've talked about this throughout the book. And I'll just say it one more time. God has broken into the world through his Son and Spirit in order to fulfill the promises that he made to his people Israel. He will repossess the world for himself just like he promised. His reign has begun. Jesus has been raised. That's how we know. This then is to catapult the mission to tell the rest of the Gentile world that news. Now, what would be problematic to the news, to that news? Alternative news. We live in a world of competing news. Our world has news. If we look around, that's what it seems our world is obsessed with. Everything has news. Pelotons, Pampers, Porsches, all announce their good news. Politicians promise by announcing their news of making things great again, sane again, compassionate again. Our news promises good ends to loyal fans and bad ends to our adversaries. News promises, promotes. And so Paul connects the end of his letter to the beginning. I have news, but so do some others. And that news that they are giving you need to watch out for. You need to avoid. And what's the news? Well, we don't get all of it, but what he's been talking about through the letter gives us hints. Um, it's those who cause division, those who create obstacles contrary to what Paul is teaching them. Now, this is very near to what we, we just finished in the letter about strong and weak, about love and unity versus splintering division. But it's also what Paul has faced in other parts of his mission. There was a faction of the church connected to Jerusalem that insisted on aspects of observing the law, circumcision particularly. And Paul is worried that this faction might have Rome set in its sights. And what's wrong with this? Well, Paul thinks this false gospel intends to stop the Roman church from obeying the truth. They should be alert to, adhering to, the differ, differing offers of other news sources and instead and, and, and by doing so, receiving a different Jesus. Paul's warning is, stay away. Be on the watch. Now, what do we make of this today? Well, divisions and obstacles and news that divides. Sometimes that news is trendiness for us in the church, wanting to be loved by the masses, spoken positively about in the wider cultural world. Sometimes it's news that gets us lost in the, the world of the culture. Uh, Patrick Miller helped me think about this this week. He said, culture warring describes a demeanor in public discourse with regard to a certain set of issues. The ordering of those issues, what we fight for the most or least, is set by cultural discourse and not kingdom ethics. Friends, this is so alluring for the church. The news of the day wins the day for the church, and the church finds herself wrapped up in fighting over these ideas, words, or actions set by the culture and not by the kingdom. It's distracting. It's dividing. So the latest news event, whatever that might be, this week it was student loan forgiveness, it sets the conversation and our actions in the world of it. 
we have to take sides. Instead of a kingdom ethic of working strong and weak, right? Now, that's the news that divides. There's also news that blocks. This might be an occasion where there's some spiritual novelty or new insight that denies historic faith. We need to get rid of any concept of hell or justice because, or, we, or we need to rethink atonement because atonement might be divine child abuse. Whatever it might be, false teaching starts shallow and then it tries to be trendy and then it pursues innovation without boundaries and before long, creeds and confessions of the church are set aside for something newer or better. And that news always becomes more inclusive. The insider is the one enlightened to that news. This is the news that blocks. Now, Presbyterians can do this with Calvinism, by the way. When we hold it up too high, it becomes a blocking sort of news. When it comes to recognizing a counterfeit Christianity or false teacher, I think Colin Smith offers a good checklist to follow. First, a different source. Where does the message come from? If it comes from a different source than the Bible and the historic teachings of the church, that might be the first clue or hint. A different message. What's the substance of the message that's being proclaimed? A different position. In what position will the message leave you as a result of hearing it? A different character. What kind of people does the message produce? A different appeal. Why should you listen to this message? a different fruit, what result does the message have in people's lives, and a different end, where does the message ultimately lead you? Paul doesn't hold back. He says, avoid such people, for such people are not serving, are ser- are not serving Jesus, but instead are serving what? Their own appetites. By what? Smooth talk and flattery by which they deceive. Those who use faith as a means for self-promotion, charlatans promoting a non-gospel or a half-gospel or an anti-gospel. Even though this church, as Paul says, is celebrated for her faithfulness, notice that, and everyone knows about this church's obedience, there are still these parental words, watch out, be aware. I want you to be wise, Paul says, about what is good, and innocent about what's evil, riffing off Matthew 10, where Jesus says to the disciples, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Paul is saying people who are are naive can get fooled by false teachers, and that is evil. I don't know if you saw this this week, but Facebook was confronted about promoting dissension, and the CEO or the, uh, the executive team of Facebook said, We don't care. We're going to continue to do what we do. That is, in an essence, evil. It's doing something that upends people and culture. What the church in Rome must do is discern evil without getting caught up in the evil. Now, let's let's sit there just for a second. What news causes you anxiety? Like, what news this week did you hear that cause you anxiety. I do this uh, daily app, and one of the things that the app invited me to to considering this morning is this very question. What's the news that causes you to feel unsettled, to feel out of control? Now, when you hear that news, what do you do to quell it, to silence, stop the anxiety? 
Now, I think part of being wise is being aware of, the, of what news you are tempted to run to when you feel anxious. And part of it is also what news makes you anxious. Sometimes we want, to, I want hard and fast talk. We want evidence and clear fruits. And then based on those things, we establish like what's good and what's healthy and what's true. Um, I think about like what uh, this during the last year, the Mars Hill podcast that came out. And what Mars Hill is a church, church in Seattle, if you don't know about this church, what, what it did in a few short years and how it grew and became this brand and then what kind of undid it. The, the podcast was kind of done in true crime style. What, what led to the killing? Who killed Mars Hill Church? And built up in that was some of these things that Paul is saying to the church to watch out for. I want you to think this morning about the things that cause you anxiety with regards to news and where do you run. Even within City Press, like as you think about our church, as you think about what things within it might cause you to feel anxious, what do you then run to or look for to quell that anxiety in our midst? I think one of the blessings of COVID times is it's forced us as a people to deal with the things that cause us anxiety. And then what do we do about it? How do we relieve it? Paul is wanting us to be aware, wise, as regards to the things that might lead us astray, that might take us away from the gospel that he is preaching. And so he says, watch out. Be aware. Avoid those who preach something different than I preach. Now, Paul then moves to the gospel pieces. He moves to what God is able to do. God is able, friends, to strengthen you by his victory and presence. So when you feel anxious about the news that you're hearing, the alternative news, God is able to strengthen you by his victory and his presence. What does Paul say? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now here's the reality of the competing cycles of news in our hearts and in our day. There is some news that changes every other bit of news. There is a day when this evil of division and blockades to faith will end. There is a day when the Elmer gantries of the world will stop feasting on God's people. There is a day when we will stop being blown by the latest promise of politicians or pundits. There is a day when we will stop having to feel the need to cocoon ourselves with cynicism or numb ourselves to other news. And the hope is that Satan, who is the creator of division, Satan, who speaks words of seduction to men and women about power and about being like God, being able to see and take and have, that that Satan will be crushed completely under the foot of Jesus. Local squabbles, sociopolitical affairs are deeper than what we see on the surface, Paul says, There are spiritual things afoot underneath them, and God is able to strengthen you, church, because the battle has been won by God, because the Messiah died on a cross and was raised and ascended. 
we can take hope that Satan will be crushed completely under the foot of Christ. Now let's pause for a second. Go back to that place of anxiety. Maybe you've been taken in the past, been taken advantage of by someone promoting different sorts of news. They hurt you, caused you pain, and now you're regularly both ashamed and on edge because of it. You have difficulty trusting. You feel deep hurt. How should the news of God's ability to crush your adversary impact you? What does God's victory on the cross have the ability to do in those places? You see, Paul thinks that the grace of Jesus is mediated by such news. This is part and parcel of why we attempt to be a gospel-driven church. The good news of Jesus the King, who crushes Satan under his feet on the cross, is able to unite Jew and Gentile, to unite across great division, and that is meant to help us not just get to heaven, not just to finish the race, but to help us in the very present moments of our shames and our anxieties. We are to be strengthened to give these worries and cares to God because he cares for us and he is able to save us to the uttermost because he has and will crush Satan underfoot. Now Paul then moves to benediction. He ends this letter with the good word. Benediction. The biblical story began with Adam falling into sin and all humanity thereafter failing to give glory to God because they themselves have fallen short of the glory of God. Thankfully, the rest of the story is about the reversal of this dire state since salvation. Salvation is about humanity being brought to the place of giving glory to God and sharing in the hope of that glory. And the story of Romans then is a microcosm of that whole biblical story. And that's how Paul ends here. The benediction is the micro story of the whole story bound up in this local church in Rome. And so Paul takes us in this few verses from glory lost to glory regained. The older I get, I feel the loss of the glory of youth. So, like, Montanza time is always a good reminder of that. Like, y'all, I'm, like, so tired, like, from all these guys wanting to hang out till all hours of the night and having alcohol and smoking cigarettes and all the rest. Like, um, I, I went to hit balls. Like, uh, my morning re- exercise routine is to go to, down at, like, 7 in the morning and hit uh, some golf balls for a bit. And so my back started hurting on Thursday when I went down. And then we were doing digging the pit. And so it was a great excuse, by the way, that uh, I didn't have to dig the pit. But there is like this, like, glory lost. And we feel that as we age, the loss of glory. Now, there's other ways the glory is regained. You know, they say that white hair is like the glory on your head and all that. I don't know if that's true. But you feel the loss of that glory. And it is, it is, is it intended, I think, by God to help you find glory in something else, something better, something greater, that there's a greater glory to be gained even with the loss of strength. 
And here Paul is trying to say, God is able to strengthen you, and he says this, strengthen and establish you by the gospel. What I want you to remember about Romans is that the gift of grace is given to you, and it's given incongruously. What I mean by that is that you don't ever merit anything to get the gift. Your righteousness is given to you by God through Christ. Your status is given to you by God through Christ. Your merit is given to you by God through Christ. It is a gift. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. You can't keep it. It is pure gift given to you who are, according to Paul, enemies. You can embrace low anthropology, that you are a sinner, that your spouse, children, friends, co-workers are sinners, but they're also created in God's image, fellow image bearers of God. So you don't have to love based on merit. You can give grace to the undeserving because you've received the gift of grace as one who is undeserving. You can give forgiveness to the one who has hurt you because you have hurt others. You are both victim and perpetrator at all times. The gospel is not a system of ethics, a cultural program, or a spiritual mantra. The gospel is the proclamation of the news of the death and resurrection of the Messiah and God's reconciliation of the world through him. And it is a gift given to the unworthy. This gospel, Paul says, establishes you. My home, my Danette and I's home, was established in 1995 with vows. And then there's all sorts of practices and things that have established and formed that home. Miranda Lambert, the country singer, sings a song called The House That Built Me. I know they say you can't go home again. I just had to come back one last time. Ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam, but these handprints on the front steps are mine. Up those stairs in that little back bedroom is where I did my homework and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know under that live oak, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. She's talking about a home that she grew up in that established her, that placed her in the world. Now, the rest of the song deals with some of the heartbreak and heartache of that home. But Miranda's singing about something that has established her in both good and bad ways. Paul says that God is able to establish you, to build you, by what? This news, this gospel. It's meant to create you and recreate you. It's meant to form you. It's meant to give you an identity. And notice, God is able, in all the ways that right now, currently, you might feel non-established, like your feet are in quicksand, like you're always moving and you're never settled and you always feel shaken by the latest announcement of different news. God says, no, no, that's not true of you. I am able to establish you in different news, news that reorientates you, not just to the world, but to who you are. Your very identity is changed and shaped by this news that I'm establishing you in. You are established not by your ability, but by God's ability to give you the good news that in him you are created, established, firm, strong, stable. Here in him you have a home. Paul continues, God is able to strengthen you by what? By the revelation of the mystery made known to all nations according to the command of God. This mystery, something of God's eternal purposes, hidden for a time, then bursting out into the world, bringing peace and justice. Now, what books 
or stories that you read or saw kept the, the mystery till the very end. The story was hidden, and then pow, once you saw it, your eyes were opened up. Now, I think about movies like Fight Club and Memento, Shutter Island, The Prestige, The Sixth Sense, right? Bruce Willis. I don't want to, like, spoiler alert you, but that movie's, like, really old. So really, no spoiler alerts. But, like, when you see that Bruce Willis is, you know, what he is, like, oh, oh, the whole thing's, like, you, you, like you have to go back and re-watch it just to re- go, oh, 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 Right? How about when uh, Empire Strikes Back and Darth Vader goes, Luke, I'm your father. I mean, you all know this. Like, this is a cultural artifact now, but, like, when I saw that in 1979, like, my whole world was blown. Right, Deke? Right? Like, that's what Paul is saying here. The mystery is unveiled in Christ, and it changes the whole story. And this mystery has two parts, right? God, God's intent to bring the Gentiles. Now, you, you might get lost in all this in Romans, because, but this is, this is it. Like, this is it. You, you might like to talk more about you know, uh, your imputed righteousness in Christ, and that's definitely part of it. But that part of it only makes sense when we related to the other part of it, that God's intent is to unite Jew and Gentile in the Messiah. And that's why he gives you his righteousness. Like, Paul is very, very, very central about proclaiming this. And that is meant to blow the minds of the Jews who had this story, himself included in that, and the Gentiles who are now receiving this news. And then the how. The how of how God does this. The embedded wisdom of a crucified Messiah. How God intends to bring Jew and Gentile together. How God intends to impute his righteousness to you, his goodness, give you a perfect record when you don't have a perfect record, making you good. How does he intend to do that? By allowing his son to die on a cross. This, Paul says, this mystery is what brings about what? The obedience of what? Faith. It's when God opens your eyes to that mystery, he imparts and gives you faith. And faith is how you please God, Romans 4. And so what Paul is saying is that faith comes through this news of a crucified Messiah, this backward news that death comes by life, that the last will be first. This is the ethic of this church, the church in Rome, and to be the ethic of our church here at City Press. And how will this ethic shape and form you? Well, what it should do for us is the application. It should bring us to worship. Like when you first learn, like when Deacon first learned that that. Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Like, he couldn't wait to tell everybody. Like, that's what it does. That news elicits a response, and that response is glory. So, the only wise God, Paul says, to the only wise God, his wisdom hidden, revealed in bringing Jew and Gentile together through a crucified Messiah, 
To that wise God be glory forever through Christ. And so my hope as we leave this letter is that you find ways and places to glory. Glory in the gospel that has been spread abroad on your hearts. Glory to a gospel that can unite strong and weak. In this very church, glory in a gospel that intends to not create division, but span it through the body and blood of Jesus. Isaac Watts comes to our aid with this in his majestic hymn, To God Only Wise. Hear these words. To God the only wise, our Savior and our King, let all the saints below the skies their humble praises bring. Tis his almighty love, his counsel and his care. It preserves us safe from sin and death and every hurtful snare. He will present our souls unblemished and complete before the glory of his face with joys divinely great. Then all the chosen seeds shall meet around the throne, shall bless the conduct of his grace and make his wonders known. To our Redeemer God, wisdom and power belongs, immortal crowns of majesty and everlasting songs. Friends, glory in the news that you, as enemies, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus and that you have been sanctioned, commissioned to be a person who propagates that good news to other people who are far off, to bring them close to God, far and near. You are the preachers who are to go to all the earth proclaiming this gospel in the name of Jesus the Son. Let's pray. God, we ask you to help us to enliven us by your Spirit, the glory of the Spirit that can make us, to turn, that can turn us from wallflowers to martyrs. That's what your gospel can do. Compel us to such a degree out of love that our whole world is changed by the mystery revealed. And so I pray as we conclude this book, we're thankful for it. We thank you for the words written in this letter. We're thankful for the ways that it's blessed us in different ways. Um, and we pray that it would uh, produce fruit in us as a church here at City Press, but also in us as individuals, and that we would learn to glory in such news every time we hear it. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.